today on Ag News Daily. You know, one of the big things when I started was I'm not just going to make a video and hit just the, the controversial topics. I'm not just going to talk about um, Roundup and, and other pesticides and drain tile. And Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-host of the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined by Ashton Carr. Ashton, what's going on with you today? You know, I really don't have a whole lot going on, but I just got my new calendar for the next year. And so I'm trying to put everything on my planner and get my life organized. And it's just making my day. I love to do this kind of stuff. Ashton, do you realize we are currently six months away from the next year? I know. It's absolutely crazy to me. I mean, we just talked about this the other day about how fast I thought time was going by. It's nuts. And that's assuming we make it out of 2020 alive. This year has been a challenge, to say the least. Oh, I know. Who knows what will happen? But Delaney, what's going on in your part of the world? Uh, allergies are hitting me today, so I apologize if I sound a little stuffy or sniffly on the podcast. Other than that, I'm excited for a three-day weekend. Four-day weekend. Three-day weekend. I had to think about that. Yeah, three of the markets <laughs> did close early today. I was wrong about that yesterday. So it is now officially the weekend for a lot mm-hmm. of folks in the world of trading. But yeah, I mean, 4th of July is coming up, the Independence Day holiday here in the United States, the uh, most important country. Sorry, Canadian. We matter more. Our holidays are better. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to grilling some steaks. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, I tell you what, I've got some news here. It is non-COVID related news. So I thought I'd kick off with that. Sound like a plan? Uh, it sounds like a great plan. Well, it's it's interesting news, to say the least. This news is coming from across the pond over in continental Europe. Uh, the European Union, uh, their agriculture commissioner, a person whose name is Janice Wojciechowski, and I apologize to uh, Janice, I, I don't know how the heck you say the last name, W-O-J-C-I-E-C-H-O-W-S-K-I is how it's spelled, Um has gone on record in a video conference with French senators saying that the EU should work to ban imports of agricultural products that are grown using products that are banned in the EU. And uh, this would be quite a move if it is adopted. Uh, Basically, the way the EU has kind of gone, approached things so far is that uh, – Janice says that it has contributed to agriculture, making it impossible to have good trade discussions. So they say that, uh, you know, uh, if they decide to go down this new road, they could run into issues because it would suddenly be impeding the uh, WTO issues and all sorts of new things. But, you know, glyphosate is banned in the EU. So this would be one of those areas where we would see the EU work to ban crops that are grown with glyphosate, which, of course, is the predominant amount of corn and soybeans grown in this country and so many other crops, of course. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder how they're going to get about regulating that. Right. How would they test? As to my knowledge and listeners, I know we've got some some uh, crop experts who tune into this. Of course, you know, I've, none of us have agronomy degrees or <laughs> are chemical engineers. But uh, can you test for trace residues of glyphosate on a crop think, after it has been 
been stored and then shipped across the sea? Like, there's enough stick on there to actually have a meaningful test? Yeah, I mean, I I know you can test for that stuff, but that's a good point. How long does it actually stay on a product? That's not really the best terminology, but yeah. Interesting. Right. So that will be interesting. So far, it sounds like it's just the Minister of Agriculture making this promotion now. But this has been a rumbling in the European Union for quite some time because naturally farmers in the EU are blocked access to this technology. So their argument is, okay, in order for us to compete, if you're not going to let us have new tools, then we got to keep lower cost production out that is grown using this new tool. And how it will you know, sneak by the WTO remains to be seen. But I think we could uh, hear more about this story going forward. I think we will as well. And another story we've been hearing a lot about has been the small refinery waivers. And so we saw EPA Administrator Wheeler, I guess you could say answer to some of the pressure he's gotten on both sides of the ethanol oil debate. And he's come out and said that, you know, there are a handful of unanswered questions in the effort by small refineries looking to secure relief from past blending requirements on the nation's biofuel mandate. He said to reporters on on Wednesday that the waivers bring into question how to offer relief to the refineries that are seeking it and said that some of these petitions go back to 2012. So there's some questions about whether or not they can show economic harm and what that remedy would be. So basically, it kind of sounds like he's trying to cover his butt a little bit here and maybe still offer some support for people on both sides of the issues because we know Senator Ernst and Grassley have been putting a lot of pressure on him. We also saw Senator Ted Cruz of Texas put some pretty heavy pressure on him and issued to hold a threat of his own saying that he will not allow Benevento's nomination to move forward, which is, of course, one of those people that's going to be uh, implemented in the into the administration until he gets a promise from Administrator Wheeler that he's going to deliver on bringing stability to the price of RINs and small refinery waivers. So we're definitely seeing some pressure on both sides of the aisle. Wow. Well, you know, same side of the aisle, um, both because Cruz well, is a Republican I'm sorry. as well. And right. so is, Different yeah. sides of an issue, same side they, of the aisle. Right, right. So both oil and ethanol are going to hold up this appointment until yes. EPA comes down on one side or the other. Yep, that's what it sounds like. Oh, geez. Well, Ashton, what do you watch today? So I'm watching uh, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. They are asking for more COVID-19 relief efforts. And the NCBA sent a letter thanking congressional leaders for the COVID-19 relief efforts that have already been put forth to cattle producers and trying to help them recover. And Ethan Lane, Vice President of Government Affairs, says that the NCBA is asking that cattle assistant payments through the CFAP program be improved or tailored to provide more support to those that are hurting from the pandemic. So I, they're not seeing, I guess, as much support as they would like to. So NCBA is reaching out to those government officials and asking for even more help in the next CFAP um, program have you have you guys heard anything about when the next rollout i guess would be for cfap because i i haven't i i haven't i think it's probably going to be dependent upon the mm-hmm. next major coronavirus bill to come through wouldn't it delaney i mean didn't we yes technically 
allocate all the other funds that were allotted in the first two rounds? Yes, I believe that that is correct. However, we do know that the Paycheck Protection Program um, has been given congressional approval as of Wednesday to extend the application period until August 8th, because originally the deadline was Tuesday. And so we at least know that that small portion is extended. But yeah, I think CFAP is very much based on how coronavirus continues to impact our systems, very much so like MFP, if you'll remember back, had basically, you know, 50% or 20% and another 20%. I think CFAP is very much like that. All right. Well, you know, uh, coronavirus concerns continue across the Corn Belt. Not Corn Belt, but I just wanted to get another C in there for the alliteration. Um, You know, I've spoken quite a few times on this podcast about interesting stories relating to the flow of ag labor around the world. We've seen, you know, coffee in Costa Rica was most recently had asparagus in Germany, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Reuters had a story out today, and this is something that has completely flown under my radar. And I know we've got listeners who have probably been impacted by this, and I would love to hear from you. Uh, tell us your stories. Find us on social media, Ag News Daily on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. But Reuters is reporting that the lack of ag labor is making it a huge challenge for American growers or harvesting companies in the southern Great Plains to fill out their crews for wheat harvest. Uh, basically, the, according to this Reuters report, formerly these companies would be using uh, immigrant labor, the you know standard year in, year out, uh, continual, you know, come up for six months in the harvest and go back home, and the same immigrants come back, work for the same company the next year. And this year they can't come across the border so these harvesting crews are hiring basically anybody they can get their hands on who is in the country and able to get to work. And I'll be honest, I, I've talked to a lot of folks who are in harvesting crews, and I hadn't heard word one that uh, labor was any bigger an issue this year than it typically is. Mm-hmm. And usually those folks do struggle to find labor because, you know, not everybody can travel for four months up the entire length of the plains running a harvesting crew. So, listeners, if you are part of or run a wheat crew and you, you typically use immigrant labor or this year you're, you're having a real hard time, uh, we want to hear from you. Uh, give us a, an update. Find us on social media. Let us know. Yeah, I think uh, that's pretty interesting. So it would be great to interview somebody that does those wheat harvest tours. I don't know that we've ever talked to somebody like that on the podcast. No, I don't think we have either, which is, is sad. So growers or listeners, if you're a harvest crew, reach out to us. We want to talk to you. A, we want to know, you know, is, is labor a bigger issue this year than in past years? And B, you know, fill us in. I mean, inside gossip, how's the harvest looking? We want to hear from you. Absolutely. Well, I tell you what, guys, I am out of news. We didn't see a news dump today, as maybe I expected to see ahead of this holiday weekend. What do you say, Ashton? You got any more news or should we head into the markets? No, I don't have any more news myself. Hopefully it'll be a busier day on Monday after this long weekend. I am sure that it will be, but it was, in fact, a busy day in the market. Of course, we've had a rally since Tuesday post a USDA reports. We are heading into a long weekend. Folks oftentimes get a little cagey before we get long weekends, and we definitely saw a pullback today in the grains. July corn dropped five and three quarter cents to close at three forty-two and a half. 
The December contract down seven cents to finish at three fifty-three and a half. Over in the soybean market, July was up one and a quarter cents, closed at eight ninety-two and a half. November down two and a quarter, finishing at eight ninety-six and three quarters. Chicago wheat July down eight and three quarter cents at four ninety even. December down six and a quarter to finish at four ninety-nine and three quarters. Looking over at the livestock markets, we did see a rally today in the cattle market, biggest rally we've seen in several weeks, actually. August live cattle up two dollars ten cents at ninety nine forty. October up two dollars even at one hundred excuse me one oh two sixty seven fifty. Feeder cattle, no surprise, rallied right along with fat cattle. The August contract up a dollar eighty at one thirty four eighty seven fifty. The September up a dollar eighty two half to close at one thirty five eighty five. Mixed trade in lean hogs of July down seven and a half cents at forty four seventy two fifty. The August up twelve and a half cents, closed the day at forty nine twenty. And in the dairy market, heading into the holiday weekend, where a lot of folks are probably going to eat some ice cream, last three milk continue to rally. July up 12 cents, closed the day at 22.97. Did trade over 23 dollars for a considerable portion of the day, hitting a high of 23.17 there in the July contract. August was up 54 cents, finished at 20.95. That's our market update. Let's head to our interview from Ashton Carr. Hey guys, when I'm not hosting Ag News Daily, I'm actually helping out with the Iowa Farm Bureau's Spokesman Speaks podcast. If you're from Iowa, you're probably familiar with the Spokesman newspaper. It has the largest readership of any ag newspaper in the state. The Spokesman Speaks podcast is an extension of that newspaper, reaching farmers and ag professionals like you on the go with the stories that matter most. This week's episode features discussions about COVID-19 relief that's currently available to farmers and the additional federal relief that could be on its way in the coming weeks. Yes, I know that all of the COVID-19 stories blend together after a while, but this is your chance to hit the reset button with the latest updates. Which relief options are still available to farmers and what's on the horizon? For those answers, you'll have to check out the new podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Spokesman Speaks podcast in your favorite podcast app, or go to iowafarmbureau.com slash podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Zach Johnson, and you might have seen him on Twitter or YouTube. I personally found out about Zach on Twitter. He has a pretty big following. Zach, why don't you go ahead and just give us a little bit of an intro about you? Well, I'm a fifth-generation family farmer in west-central Minnesota. Uh, my dad and I farm corn and soybeans here. Uh, I went to tech school right after high school, and I've been back full-time on the farm since 2005. And uh, in 2016, I started a YouTube channel uh, called Millennial Farmer. And it was strictly a hobby that started just to try to relate to people about what goes on in the family farms. Um, I've, got, I've got people who are distant relatives and people that I graduated with and people that know me and, and grew up in the rural areas. And they should understand a little bit about farming, but I was seeing and hearing a lot of things that weren't necessarily true. Uh, and I was frustrated with that. So I wanted to give people an inside view of exactly what goes on in the farm. Uh, you know, and so what I really want to do, the main point of my channel is to advocate for what goes on in the farms. And, and I can't stick up for every farmer in America, but at least I can show them what goes on in our family farm. Cause I know there's a lot of family farms out there like ours. And the whole thing was just strictly a hobby for the first two years. And uh, it has snowballed and turned into something that my wife and I never could have imagined where it is now just its whole 
a whole separate thing that's become a full-time job at this point. So we've been very lucky. Well, that's awesome. And you, you make an interesting point that you started in 2016. And I feel like, you know, in our current climate in 2020, I feel like I'm seeing more and more agriculture in social media, YouTube, podcasting, that kind of thing. So you kind of got ahead of the game, I would, I would suppose, in 2016. And so now that you have kind of snowballed, what kind of projects have you worked on in the past that you think has really made your social following grow? Well, it, I, I can't say for sure that there's any specific projects, but I've, I've just been lucky to be able to get out there and I've talked to a lot of kids groups and co-op groups and, and I've really been able to travel around and meet a lot of different farmers and particularly on social media, I've met a ton of farmers that are doing things a little bit different, whether they're raising different crops or just in a different ge- geography and, you know, agriculture is agriculture. Everybody, if you're, if you're in it and it's what you do, you're passionate about it and so just learning and hearing about other farmers' experiences and how they grow crops has been really interesting to me. And yeah, it's just grown. It's it's exploded, it seems like, in the last five years where there was definitely tons of farmers on social media, you know, long before I got on. But, um, it just seems like it's it's snowballing and building more and more every day. And, and the views are there and people are watching. And, you know, about 40% of my views are non-farmers, which goes to show you that there are people out there that are actually interested in what we're doing. And I think some of the disconnection that we've had lately has actually drawn people back towards the farm. They're actually interested in what goes on in the farm again, because a lot of people have absolutely no idea. So when they get to see the inner workings and the behind the scenes stuff on the farms, uh, I think they're, they're genuinely interested in that. I would have to agree. I've started to see a lot more consumers who don't have a whole lot of experience in agriculture really wanting to find out more. And I think that that's really interesting. And I uh, kind of want to expand on that a little bit, I guess, the educational point. So when you are making these videos or social media posts or podcast episodes, because you're a fellow podcaster, do you try to put things more into layman's terms so you can educate people? Or are you just trying to, I guess, talk about it in a way to connect with other farmers? No, I definitely try and put it into layman's terms, as you say, to, to try to connect with people and it really explain to them exactly what we're doing. And you know, one of the big things when I started was I'm not just going to make a video and hit just the, the controversial topics. I'm not just going to talk about um, Roundup and, and other pesticides and drain tile and irrigation and ethanol and the things that um, people want to argue about, about people and not just the things that people want to argue with us about. Um, I want to talk to them and show them who we are all the time. And then when those subjects come up and we're dealing with GMOs and drain tiles and pesticides, they can see exactly why we make those decisions. And, and then hopefully they've followed me along to that point so they can get to see that I'm, I'm a father and a, and a son and a brother. And, you know, I've got kids out here and we care about our local environment as much or more than anybody else, because if we don't take care of the soil and the water, it's going to affect us a lot sooner than it's going to affect anybody else. So I definitely have to kind of keep that balance of, making sure I put things in layman's terms for the non-farmers out there. And at the same time, I don't, I don't want to oversimplify and have to explain everything because the farmers that are watching don't, don't always need to hear all that. So it gets to be a little bit of a balance sometimes, but I try and try and kind of juggle that and, and just make sure that I keep the content interesting as interesting as I can and, 
and really go about my day and, and just be honest about who I am. And, you know, I just start with the camera in the morning and I go out and I go to work and whatever happens happens. I don't, uh, I don't set much stuff up and I don't plan anything. I just grab the camera and go to work and it, and it seems to work out and a lot of people have enjoyed it. You know, I really like that, that you, you don't plan, you just kind of let things happen naturally. And, and because of that, do you really try to keep things a little bit more comedic or is your channel more serious and educational? Or like you said, do you just keep a really good balance of that? I have a hard time staying too serious. Uh, so definitely, you know, I like to crack jokes. I got a dry sense of humor. Um, if you, if there's sometimes there's things I'll say where hopefully it goes over some people's heads and they don't even realize it was a joke. That's my favorite type of humor. So I like to throw a lot of that in just cause that's who we are on the farm. And I get that from my dad. He's got a really dry sense of humor. Uh, if you didn't grow up around him, a lot of people don't even realize when he's making a joke. And to me, that's hilarious. So I, I, I guess I naturally kind of blend a lot of that in with what I do. Cause that's who I am. Absolutely. And it's all about staying authentic these days. But like I said earlier, you are a fellow podcaster. So why don't you kind of walk me through, I guess, both of your podcasts? It's two different field work and off the husk. Is that, am I understanding that correctly? Yep. I'm a part of two different podcasts. So field work, the first one you mentioned, uh, I'm actually a co-host with uh, Mitchell Hora is his name. He's another farmer from Southeast Iowa. And he's got a business where he does uh, soil health. Uh, he does soil health consulting for other farmers. So he works a lot with uh, reducing tillage and uh, putting in cover crops and finding success with that. Uh, and I'm up in the northern end of the Corn Belt where that's pretty rare around here. We talk about it and uh, a few guys try it, but we haven't seen large successes with, with either reduced tillage or uh, cover crop stuff. So um, we do that through Minnesota Public Radio, and it's very official. We sit down in St. Paul a few times every winter, and we record a lot of great episodes with a lot of great information, some high-level guests, and it's a lot of fun. It's a really great podcast. We like to say it's by farmers for farmers, but uh, anybody can listen to that, and uh, I've learned a lot being a part of that podcast. And the other podcast I do is called Off the Husk, and I do that with my wife, Becky, and my good buddy, Randy. And we usually try and bring in another guest or two and we sit down and, and we bring in somebody that has something to do with agriculture, but we're very unstructured. Uh, we usually crack open a couple of cold ones and sit in the basement and uh, pretty much just laugh our butts off for a couple hours and tell stories. And at the same time, we try and get down to the nitty gritty of some aspect of agriculture, whatever it is that person's involved in. And um, it's a, it's a ton of fun, much less structured, like I say, than, than field work, but we have a lot of fun doing that one and we re record it right in my basement. And it's very similar to uh, my YouTube channel where nothing is scripted. I mean, we literally sit down with the guests and have a couple of notes in front of us and just uh, turn the mics on and have fun. Well, I might just have to give your information to Brent Carlson and Landon Nolan. They do a podcast here on the Global Ag Network called The Dryline Farmer. And it sounds like you guys might get along because I went and I did a podcast episode with them and we cracked some cold ones in his basement and just chatted. So I might just have to toss you off over there as well. But I do just have one more question for our listeners before I let you go. Where can they find your content? What's your ads on social media and all that good stuff? Stuff. Well, my YouTube channel would be the main one, and that is Millennial Farmer. There's two L's, two N's. Millennial is a tough one to spell, but if you type in Millennial Farmer anywhere, 
You'll find me. Um, my Instagram and Facebook are at MN Millennial Farmer for Minnesota Millennial Farmer. Um, and I believe you can find me. I think I'm Farm Millennial on Twitter. So I have Twitter. I'm not real active on it. Uh, the other ones take up a lot of my time, but I am over there on Twitter, as you mentioned. And then again, we've got Off the Husk and the Fieldwork podcast as well. So I'm kind of bouncing all over. Well, it sounds like you certainly got your hands full. So I definitely really appreciate you coming on our podcast to talk to us today. Hey, thank you, Ashton. I appreciate you having me. Well, good job, guys. Great interview there for today's fake Friday episode. And because we don't have a real Friday podcast this week, we're also going to play just one little laugh for you guys as we head into the 4th of July weekend here with Tim the Dairy Farmer. Hey kids, Tim here again. Listen, I just got a letter from my insurance company explaining safety tips for using fireworks on the farm. And at first, I thought, what kind of insurance company would be actually encouraging pyrotechnics on the farm? Maybe I should change companies, but then again, if they're willing to cover the damage, why not? There is that existing hole in the side of the slurry tank when Granny tried to light her cigar. According to the letter, sparklers are considered the safest of fireworks. Obviously, the writer of this safety letter has never had a 4th of July family picnic go wrong when Grandpa fired up what he thought were sparklers and turned out to be welding rods. He ran in circles for hours and never stopped until he sat down and welded himself to a metal folding chair. The rest of the family was seeing spots until a week before Halloween. This letter also said to remind friends that if they touch an open flame, it will burn them. Listen, if I have a friend that needs to be reminded that fire is hot, it's my duty to find a smarter friend. Hey, this is Tim the Dairy Farmer. To hear more about me, go to timthedairyfarmer.com. I hope you all are safe and keep milking it. It's always nice to hear from Tim the Dairy Farmer, especially on this kind of slow Thursday afternoon. But, um... With that, you can always check us out on social media at Ag News Daily, and you can listen to us for our future episodes and all of our past episodes at agnewsdaily.com. That, Mike, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Have a great Independence Day weekend, everybody.